Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. September 15th marked the 10th anniversary of the financial crisis, and the award-winning journalist who predicted the subprime mortgage mess that led to that crisis is Mark Pittman, the Bloomberg reporter who became the only journalist to ever sue the Federal Reserve. Tragically, Mark died Thanksgiving Day 2009. He was 52 and never lived to see his historic Supreme Court victory just a few months later. Mark's wife, Laura Farenthold, has written a memoir. It's called Pink Steering Wheel Chronicles, and it details her family's journey after Mark's death. And I am so pleased to have Laura join me today on the podcast. Hi, Laura. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for sharing your book. I really enjoyed reading it. It was a, it was a, a wonderful uh, read, and I think um, there's something in there for everyone to to relate to, whether they've lost a spouse uh, or not. Um, and and it's a very rich story because it's not only your personal story, your family's personal story, but interwoven, of course, is the financial crisis of of 2008 and Mark's role in in trying to uncover just what was happening back then. Just for background. Tell us why Mark sued the Fed. Well, as a journalist, you know, journalists are able to seek information from the government or any entity through a FOIA request. And it's an across-the-board widely accepted And the, form. Yeah, that's a Freedom of Information Act, right? Right. So when the Federal Reserve was not re- giving up information and they repeatedly denied the standardized request, Mark and his team thought best to sue the Federal Reserve. Wow, that really... I got to tell you, you got to have a pair to sue the Federal Reserve. And, and uh, you know, I guess he wanted to understand how much the banks were spending, how much the Fed was spending, rather, to, to prop up the banks and if they were using taxpayer money to do it. And, of course, in the long run, we found out, yes, indeed, they were to the tune of trillions of dollars. But while this was unfolding, sadly, Mark didn't see the Supreme Court Uh, uh, decision saying that, yes, the Fed has to release this information as part of the Freedom of Information Act. But you say all along he was confident he would win the suit. Why? Because he had that pair. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And he knew. I mean, he and his team had won, you know, several big, big journalism awards for their work. Um, I know that in the summer of 2007, he wrote a series of stories predicting the collapse of the banking system, and it wasn't met well. And by by kept... people at the banks, you mean? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he had this irreverence for the you know the big white ivory towers because it's fine for the CEOs and the big Wall Street people, but the average person didn't know what was about to hit them. Mm-hmm. And and he had that that foresight, did he, um, to see to see that not only would the banks collapse, but that the, there would be financial heartache uh, afterward. Absolutely, you know, he's a Kansas-born and bred, you know, just basic blue-collar kid. So he had that compassion for the average person who didn't know what was going on. So I think that was really his driving force. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, he and I um, overlap briefly uh, during my time at Bloomberg uh, in the late 90s. And I just remember my memories of Mark was always he's the bulldog of the newsroom, you know, um, sort of. And, and you say it beautifully in the book. I know other people have said about him, too. He was always the moral face of the newsroom. And uh, and I and he really wanted what was right and just uh, to take place. Um, as part of your grieving process, when, when Mark died, you had two little girls, right? How old were they? They were just turning nine and 11. So, you know, I can't even imagine what you were going through as you were trying to pick up the pieces. But in this book, you eloquently talk about how you and your two girls went to Portland, Oregon, and ultimately, after failing on a camping trip, said, you know what, maybe we'll buy an RV. And so you and your two daughters hit the road, but also you had Mark's ashes in tow. Why? Why did you take Mark with you? You know, it's, I couldn't leave him at home. Mm -hmm. You know, would I hire a babysitter for his ashes? You know, what if something happens? So I thought, well, I'm just going to bring him with us and, you know, to take care of him. Mm Mm-hmm make sure he was okay. So it just ended up that we bought this beat up old RV on the side of the road and our lives just went from there. Talk to me about that, that road trip, which is detailed in the book, but, but talk to me about that. Well, um, it just, you know, the trips took on a life of their own. It was kind of in a way they became like family camping trips, Mm -hmm. whereas we had, you know, it gave the girls more memories with their dad, if you will, or, you know, it tied him into our lives more because we could sprinkle him in places that he would have never ended up, you know, on top of mountains that we climbed and, you know, in the Bay of Fundy in Canada and, you know, just great adventures. So tell us some of the, so you went to Canada and was cross country, right? Because you live in New York and you went all the way over to California, was it? We did five trips over the course of, you know, like five summers and a couple of trips in the fall. We ended up doing 31,152 miles. <laughs> to be exact. To be exact. In Harvey the RV. So I just made his death as positive and fun, not his death was fun, but you know, I made the experience of traveling with him mm-hmm. as positive and as fun as I could for the girls so that they didn't have their last memory of him dying in the hallway by the bathroom. Mm-hmm. You, you also sprinkled his ashes in, in some of the places that you visited, right? Absolutely. The, you know, the ashes were really the guide to the places that we went. You know, like the girls would say, each of them would be captain for the day, and they could choose what they wanted to do. And they'd say, oh, Daddy would love to be on top of Lay Palisade in Quebec. Mm. And so then we go there and we climb up, you know, Lay Palisade, which is a 1,200-foot mountain, to get him to the top of it. And, you know, during this process, I'm sure this was, you know, very, very challenging for you. And also, just from a logistical standpoint, had you ever driven an RV or anything as big as an RV? Never. So you had to contend with a lot, to say the least. Um, did you? What was sort of driving you, uh, driving your soul? I mean, th- throughout this, to just—I mean, you could have just very easily done one road trip with an RV. Or why did you just keep going back? 
You know, it gave me any parent knows that the best time that you can get with a kid practically is in a car Mm -hmm. because that's when they talk. And you know what else? I'll tell you, I I experienced this with my own children. You don't have to have eye contact. You know, exactly. you're, yeah, and I think that that lets some inhibitions go away. And uh, it, it, I've had some of the best conversations I've had with my kids have been in the car. You're right. Exactly. And it's not like we talked a lot, mm-hmm. but just, you know, having that together time and that private time, the private together time was what kept driving me. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that you had said sort of off before the interview, you had said that you felt like wherever the, your daughters go now, um, there's a piece of dad there just because you sprinkled his ashes in so many different locations. Exactly. So now Mark Pittman is everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, because he cared so much about the everyday man, it just seemed like the perfect thing to do with him. And your girls are now what? Uh, they're they're adults. They're young adults. They're young adults, and I'll tell you, you could drop them in the middle of anywhere mm-hmm. with a dollar in their pocket, and they'd come out driving a Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> You've given them good life skills on that on that road trip. But do the, do they understand your daughters the role? Um, the important role Mark played as a, a journalist uh, during the financial crisis? They remember the conversations at the dinner table, but I think it will take you know, more time and maturity mm-hmm. and you know the complex, the ability to understand complex um, theories Mm -hmm. or whatever for them to fully understand. But they definitely know that, you know, their dad had scruples. Right. And he was a big deal because he was a mouthpiece for a lot of people who didn't have a voice during that time. You say there there were conversations around the dinner table. Um, Did Mark talk a lot about his work at home? I, I take it he did. Well, he did. But honestly, it's not like I really... I didn't go to work with him every day. I'm not a financial person. So I didn't even understand. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it's the joke behind every successful man is a shocked woman, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, I would, I would be entertained by it, and I would listen to it, and I would try to understand it. But I was the person that he was trying to save. Right. Right? Because I'm just your average person, and, I, you know, you don't really know what's happening. But I did have that definite window into it. Mm-hmm. Did you, um, you may, may not have understood it all, but do, were you uh, scared when he said, listen, you know, the whole banking system could collapse here if, if the banks don't get their acts together? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, the more traction that he gained with the lawsuit, you know, with his team and, um, you know, the more awards that he won. And then when Bloomberg hired him counsel, I mean, it was a big deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you remember getting blowback? I'm I'm sure not everyone was happy that Mark was suing the Federal Reserve. You know, I'm sure that they weren't. And but again, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in that. um, In that world, I guess. In that world. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he he would tell me things, obviously. I mean, there, even in the book, you, you talk about how um, for some people had come to you and said, you know, you better make sure there was no foul play regarding your husband's death. Did you ever once b- 
buy into that? You know, that was the crazy thing that, you know, they're conspiracy theorists and um, we've definitely had some people offed, right? Mm-hmm. So I will say that I had a slight bit of paranoia about it because of the way in which he died, which was not, didn't present as a typical heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did take 35 days for the autopsy to come back. So, yes, mm. for, you know, there's a little tiny bit of paranoia that went with it. But I was 99.999% sure that nothing had happened that mm-hmm. was foul. Now, so you take this trip with the girls over a span of five years in this RV, sort of sprinkling Mark's ashes in various places. What made you then, after this experience, say, I'm going to write a book about it? Well, you know, it's funny because I'm a journalist, but not certainly in the same way that he was a journalist. You know, I work for a women's magazine, Woman's World, and I've been there forever. Um, and I was a crime reporter at the New York Daily News. So, you know, I can write, okay. And I, you know, I just, I felt like this experience in this book could help people. Mm-hmm. Because I talk to women every day about husbands, about kids, about, you know, coupon clipping, you know, whatever they're doing, starting nonprofits, mm-hmm. what their hopes are, their aspirations, you know, their downfalls, their rebuilding. Um, and it's just, you know, it's my story. It's just, it's a woman's story. And I thought this could be a nice service piece for people. Oh, so. I think absolutely. I think absolutely. And like I said, I don't think you need to be female or have lost a spouse to uh, to appreciate the book. But what I found fascinating and what I loved, uh, you start each chapter with a, a quote from, or mo- nearly every one of the chapters starts with a quote from Mark's journals uh, that you actually found well after his death, right? Tell us about that. Well, you know, we had shared the same filing cabinet for 15 years, mm-hmm. and I'd been in there plenty of times. I never saw a folder that said Mark's writings. Hmm. And after I had put this book together and was considering publishing it, I found this file and I was on the floor. I couldn't believe some of the things that he had written about Mm -hmm. that were foreshadowing that he'd been to some of the same places that we had been to and had some very, very similar experiences. And it was almost like he could have been guiding us in a way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that mystical part of it, almost like, you know, ghost and little Miss Sunshine, I thought, you know what, yeah. this definitely needs to be a book. Mm-hmm. It leaves a big question mark at the end. What happens when you die? Does your spirit move on? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a takeaway for everybody. And when you in these journals, uh, he was writing a a story, a fictional story, or was it more of a he was, you know, like a diary, if you will? Well, he had taken a long haired motorcycle trip (laughs) (laughs) during college, you know, in channeling Hunter Thompson, who was his hero in gonzo journalism. So there were just these these typewritten, some of them must have been college assignments, writing assignments, other things were diaries, um, you know, historical fiction, but they so much related to what I was going through or experiencing at certain times that 
it was just like putting a puzzle together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that piece fit exactly when we were on the Hopi Mesa Indian Reservation. So I pulled that quote out wow. and put it before the section on where we were on this Indian reservation. And you also say that he, through through fictional characters, even um, f- was able to foreshadow his own death and, and the way he would die. Isn't that crazy? It's uh, it's incredible. I know. And I've got the journals. I mean, they're all right here. You know, you tell me. Yeah, yeah. He described it in exact detail. Was he a, was he a, a historical yeah. character that he had created who was a homesteader in Kansas in 1860? Hmm. Yeah. And was he a spiritual man in life, Mark? I think that he had a gift. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he cared so much about... I don't like the word the human condition, but, you know, the term, but the human condition Mm -hmm. that, yes, I believe that, you know, he had a deeper something than most people do. And he did even when it came to his work, because he saw cracks in the foundation of the banking system and uh, the mortgage industry and the housing market that he was able to foresee the, the catastrophe that was ahead when a lot of other people in the industry either didn't or did and ignored it. Um, what do you hope all these years later now that maybe Wall Street learned from Mark? You know, that's such a good question. I, I think that he hopes, and I, I hope that the takeaway is not to goose people, mm-hmm. you know, to be transparent and not to try to pull something over on unsuspecting people who don't have the capacity to understand financial engineering. Mm-hmm. What do you think Mark would think about the state of things now? I mean, um, you know, we've we've bounced back quite a bit since the financial crisis, but there's still not a lot of transparency. Now we're seeing it in social media, right, where, where you see the Facebook scandals and and you know, Twitter needing to get rid of fake news and a whole bunch of other platforms. What do you think? Um, would this be his new crusade, you know, to sort of find justice for people once again with when it concerns fake news and social media? That's a very good question. Mm. You know, whatever you know, he liked to, in an interview with the Columbia Journalism Review, you know, this he was saying that he has a big bull BS detector. And it comes from being a cop reporter. You know, that's where he got his chops. And he just had an irreverence for BS. So I'm sure he would have been on that and everything else. (laughs) Um, What do you uh, believe Mark's legacy is for your family and for your daughters? Well, I know that they don't want to go into financial journalism. Um, (laughs) They've sworn that off. (laughs) They've sworn that off. Um, You know, I think that it's just, it's a good legacy in general to be a person who cares, to be a person who will fight for the underdog, who will expose cracks Mm -hmm. and have integrity. And I think, you know, that's what news is missing now, is that integrity. So it's something that would be upheld 
by him and his colleagues, and I think they would just move to whatever the next thing was. The, the title of the book is Pink Steering Wheel Chronicles. Tell us uh, what that means. Oh, the Pink Steering Wheel Chronicles. Well, we bought Harvey the RV on the side of the road for $4,200. It's a 1993 Toyota Dolphin. I've never driven an RV. <laughs> and, you know, we're girls, so we wanted to decorate it. So we bought a pink steering wheel cover. And, you know, I joked because I'm not great at reading a map. Mm-hmm. Um that the pink steering wheel cover would, you know, was our spiritual guide. Mm-hmm. So, but it turns out maybe it was Mark. Who knows? Yeah, maybe it was a little bit of both. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Are but, you, st- you know, it was just a fun way to to travel. Are you still doing the road trips now that the the girls are are older? Um, we sprinkled Mark in his, as I say, his final resting place. In his boyhood home in Kansas, in a creek bed that he used to play with frogs in, mm. which still makes me want to cry, mm. and this beautiful field of sunflowers, just massive field of yellow sunflowers that we'd been in together one time. Mm-hmm. And that was it. You know, we just drew our hands across our hearts and, you know, threw his ashes up into the air, and that day was so perfect. It was like that sky blue day. Mm-hmm. And we haven't sprinkled him since and don't need to. He's home. He's good. But the girls and I do take trips. Um, one of my daughters now drives the RV. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's come full circle, Laura. It's come full circle. I said, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> so she gets behind the wheel, and she hauled us across the country this summer. We went out to Colorado and New Mexico and it's just, you know, it's a great, we look at Harvey as like being a giant dog in the driveway <laughs> that we take him out to play. Well, it is, uh, you know, it's it's a memoir, uh, but it's certainly not depressing. I mean, I know it's centered around your husband's passing, but it is uh, uplifting and enlightening and inspirational. And um, I'm so glad that you were able to come on to talk to us about the, your new book. Um, so Laura Farenthold. Thanks so much. Again, the name of the book, Pink Steering Wheel Chronicles. Check it out if you can. Laura, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.